Hello and welcome to The Bulletin with UBS on Monocle Radio. Each week, the sharpest minds and freshest thinkers in finance take you beyond the numbers and hype, right to the heart of the big issues of the day. Today, we're dipping into a recent UBS Global Wealth Management investment research piece, exploring one of the bank's longer-term investment themes, in this case, obesity. There have been plenty of recent headlines around new, more efficacious weight loss drugs, which are driving a shift in the narrative around treating obesity. And with the number of obese people globally continuing to rise, and at pace, the outlook remains for a greater prevalence of obesity in the years to come. So what does all this mean in terms of trends and potential opportunities for smart investors? Well, to find out, it's a pleasure to welcome back Lachlan Towart from the UBS Global Wealth Management CIO here in London. Lachlan's the CIO equity sector strategist responsible for healthcare and chemicals. Lachlan, thanks for joining us. Good to have you back. Uh, Before we talk about the obesity topic, Lachlan, let's talk briefly about the LTIs. Remind us first what they are. Yes, sure. Thanks, Tom. So it's good to be back. Um, LTIs are long-term investment themes that are really built around what we see as structural trends that can endure beyond the current business cycle. And specifically, the three that we're most interested in are population growth, aging, and urbanization. And of course, these are structural trends. They're unaffected by where we are in the current economic cycle. But importantly, because we're looking at over a long-term, multi-year time frame, we want to have trends that are relatively predictable. And demographics is about as predictable as you can get in terms of long-term drivers. Most of the demographic changes we're going to see over the next 10 to 20 years are driven by people who are already alive today. So this is fairly predictable. Um, and it's going to last a long time. And we think that companies that have exposure to those demand changes will be able to grow faster than the broader economy. And obesity is basically no exception to that. Well, absolutely. And that sets us up nicely for our our conversation. It's been an interesting year in terms of headlines in this space. Lots of uh, developments, many of them, of course, focused on uh, on some specific drugs treatments. But just maybe give us the the, the, the overview as you see it in terms of where we are in terms of this sort of obesity epidemic that affects so much of the, uh, of the developed world? Sure. Well, if we, if we think very big picture, obesity rates have been trending up for a number of years. That's the first important point. And the latest data indicate that there's more than 800 million people in the world who are suffering with obesity. If we put it another way, it's about 14 or 15% of adults today are obese. That doesn't include the additional 24% of adults who are overweight, but not obese. And if we look at how those figures are going to evolve, then forecasts are that about half of the adult population will be overweight or obese by the middle of the next decade. What's driving that? Well, we see childhood obesity on the rise, unfortunately. And we also see a number of overweight people or a growing number of overweight people in the emerging world as well. So to be very clear, this is not just a developed world problem. The other thing that's relevant here is the the cost. Obesity costs us, it costs society a lot of money. Something of the order of 12 or 13% of global health expenditure is actually spent on conditions linked to obesity. And if you add the indirect costs, the cost to the economy outside of the healthcare system, you're probably looking at 3% of global GDP annually. So it's a significant epidemic. And despite all of the news, despite all of the measures that people have taken, that governments have taken, unfortunately, the trend has only been for it to get worse over the past two decades. 
Well, yeah, and before we talk about some more of the specifics in the in the space, um, like it's interesting that how some of the other sort of secular themes that we often talk about on this program with, well, with you and with other colleagues in UBS also influence the space. And I guess it's maybe worth a note just on how, for example, something like uh, rising per capita GDP and what that means for uh, individuals, or how trends around things like increasing urbanisation also drive an increase in obesity. Yeah, that's right, Tom. And, you know, in very simple terms, what we see, the data show that as people get richer, they eat more food with sugar and fat and protein, right? Um, nutritionists have a word for this. They call it the nutrition transition. And it shows up very clearly that rising per capita GDP has driven rising calorie consumption around the world in many, many countries. And you can, you can think of this in sort of very simple terms. Um, if you think of the, the trend to urbanization, which we see continuing, obviously, over the years, as people move from the countryside into the city, a number of things happen to them socially. First of all, their work changes, the nature of their work changes. They're more likely to be sitting behind the desk than they are to be out and active in, in fields or whatever. Also, people tend to, to walk to work and they live in the countryside. And of course, in the cities, we tend to take trains, buses, or we drive. So all of these things mean we need less calories and we have a, an urban lifestyle. But in fact, we end up eating more or consuming more calories because we go to restaurants, we go for drinks with friends after work, et cetera, et cetera. So there's a social trend there in addition to the underlying demographics. And if you add these things up, exactly as you say, that's going to drive continuing pattern of growing or underlying obesity rates. Um, Lachlan, as well, though, as the uh, obesity stats are, are, are rising, there's, an, I guess, a, a corollary evolution in approaches, both in terms of, of prevention and preventative measures and social policy and in, and in treatment. And they're evolving at pace. And indeed, that's one of the things that's really grabbed the headlines in the last sort of 12 months or so. Um, I guess the question, the prism through which we should look at it is, well, what do those evolutions mean in terms of opportunities for smart investors looking to to uh, this space as an area that's exciting and that needs some urgent attention. Um, how do, would you sum up what the investment opportunities look like uh, in terms of the, the evolving prevention and treatment space? Sure. So we've always seen obesity as an investment theme for investors that really had two sides to it. It had the prevention side that you refer to and, of course, also the treatment side. Historically, treating obesity was less about treating the condition of obesity itself and more about treating the conditions that follow from it. So that's typically thought of as diabetes, but there's also a whole range of other conditions, heart disease, kidney disease, um, etc., that ultimately are linked to or at least partly linked to obesity. So we've always had the opportunities in treating those linked conditions and the, the opportunities in prevention have been there as well, to be honest. And what's changing now, of course, with the, the growth, the rapid growth and huge demand for these new weight loss drugs, and I think we'll, we'll come back to this, is that there's more of an opportunity to directly treat obesity itself. And of course, that's opening up new opportunities for investors directly in the pharma companies responsible, but also in some supply chain companies and derivative opportunities around that as well. Um, you know, I should probably also mention that as you talk about the, the way that the the approach to obesity changes. We've seen over the years, governments have tried to introduce sugar taxes or the measures about changing portion sizes and these sort of things. So this, this top-down approach from governments, it's been in place for a while. But despite all of that, as we've already covered, the number of people who are overweight, the obesity rates, they continue to go up. So that hasn't made much of a dent in it. 
And then on the other side, you've got the individual behavior that we all know that it's better for us to eat a more healthy diet, a more balanced diet, that it's better for us to get more exercise. And it's that tug of war between knowing these things on the one hand and actually being able to put it into practice in our busy lifestyles on the other. So the opportunities there around the, pre- the, around the prevention side, they relate to companies that can offer healthier food, better opportunities or easier opportunities for us to build exercise into our lives. And I think these have been there, but we continue to see them there. And really that's the point I want to emphasize is that we've had some big moves in companies linked to this theme in the past week or two. But we do still think that there are opportunities on both sides, on both the prevention and the treatment side, despite what we've seen recently. Yeah, absolutely. And and I we always caveat our conversations. I know you can't talk about um, specific uh, stock performance and that sort of thing, but it is interesting, the headlines, if we look at, say, some of the big players in, in Big Pharma, we've got a, a Novonoik, for example, with ju- uh, drugs like Ozempic and Wegovy, which have commanded a, a, probably the bulk of the media coverage and, and excitement. How, how does one uh, look at those uh, developments, uh, Lachlan, and sort of get get away from the, the media white noise because we 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 in the in the media too have a, a tendency to to get a bit overexcited and you get lots of screaming headlines. How do you ensure that you're thinking about the right things and not just being sort of blind blinded by the thing that's the the headline that's shouting loudest? Sure. So maybe maybe the best way to answer that is to step back and sort of set expectations and let's just recap a little bit what we've learned in the last week and then ask the question what else do we need to know in order to to better understand the outlook for these for these drugs and therefore what is the investment opportunity so if you go right back to late last year when we saw the most recent launch of these kind of drugs and you've mentioned one of them already um, because there's been supply constraints so they've had a, a, a tricky launch period since then, there's been a, a lot of focus on these drugs on social media, for example, and that has stirred, I think, the media interest, even before the most recent news. It's certainly driven demand for them because people see them on social media. They see commentary about, about Wigovia, about Manjaro, and they go to their doctors and they ask for the drugs. So we've had this situation that is really, really unusual in the pharma industry, is that the companies haven't been able to keep up with demand. So that in itself has already generated a lot of media interest. But we have to actually step back from that and say, okay, what is the effect of these drugs? What, what can they really do? So the first thing is to understand how effective they are. And broadly speaking, the latest generation of injectable weight loss drugs are going to give you, where they're effective, they're going to give you 15 to 20% weight loss. It's a, you know, an approximation. Um, but that's a significant change from what the prior generations could give, which was a, more like a mid-single digit percentage of, of weight loss. So we've got better drugs. And, and of course, that has driven the demand. What we learned recently is that one of these drugs in particular, Wegovy, has been shown to also reduce your risk of having severe cardiovascular events. So things like heart attack, stroke, or or dying from cardiovascular conditions. We've seen a 20% reduction in that risk. Now, it's 20% reduction relative to people who are also on diet plans who are not taking the drugs. Okay. Uh, That's a very strong result. It's a very, very strong result. So the expectation follows from that is that this is going to push insurance companies to have to broaden coverage. So that is why we've seen these big moves. But then if you say, okay, now how do we get away from this white noise? We need to step back and we need to say, okay, what do we not know? There's a lot of things that we don't yet know. First of all, we don't know the details of this study that was only published last week. But secondly, we also don't know what happens if you take these drugs over a longer period of time. 
So there have been patients in the trials who've been on the drugs for a few years, but in a wider population, we don't know yet what happens to people's weight if they take these drugs for a long time. We don't know, therefore, how much we can expect this trend to, to continue in the future. We don't know the, the real impact that they're going to have. So there's a lot of excitement on the 20% reduction. There's been a lot of excitement on the rate of weight loss that has already been demonstrated and is, is the basis on which these drugs are approved and already being prescribed. But we also have to think forward about to what the impact will be as more and more people take them and how long they're going to be able to stay on the drugs and what that's going to cost. It's going to cost to the system and the implications of that as well. So that I think I think that's how I would stay grounded about it is to think what are the things that we still need to learn and when are we going to learn those? And actually the, the pharma companies involved are running many studies, very large studies, thousands, tens of thousands of patients. And we're going to see that data over the coming months and ultimately years. And that's going to really fill in the details of the real impact that these drugs can have. And it's going to be the science. And unfortunately, Tom, not the media, that's going to dictate what impact these drugs are ultimately going to have. Um, but I guess even with that very thoughtful caveat, um, Lachlan, it's probably relatively safe to assume that the companies who are operating in this space, we've mentioned a couple, you know, we can expect growth for those companies that potentially should be significantly better than GDP for a considerable time just because of the opportunity in the space. Is that is that a reasonable assumption still to operate under? Yes, we, we, we think it absolutely is. If you go back to the points we made about the demographics, about the drivers, this is a trend that's very clear. The demographic trends are there. I think the patient demand is going to be there. And that's, that follows from the demographic changes, but it also is, I think, shown very clearly by the demand for these drugs over the last six months. So we believe that demand is going to continue to be there. And then there's a lot that we, as I said, there's a lot we don't yet know, and there's a lot that we can't predict things like the eventual size of the obesity drug market, there's a very, very wide range of expectations out there at the moment. And some of those expectations are quite high, I should add. But that size of that market and its impact on other areas within healthcare, its impact on companies involved in the, in the prevention space, all of these things are, are still unknown. But we can be pretty certain that one way or the other in aggregate, the growth is going to be faster than the growth of the broader economy. And that's why we emphasize, we always emphasize, that if we invest in a diversified way across this theme, across some of the different verticals that are within it, we can reduce a little bit of that uncertainty, we can reduce that risk, and therefore investors can benefit from the underlying trends while trying to diversify away a little bit of the short-term noise. And that was Lachlan Towart, bringing us to the end of this edition of The Bulletin with UBS, setting the agenda in the fast-moving world of finance each week here on Monocle Radio. You can listen again and explore more at monocle.com. That's where you can join the club and subscribe to the magazine. You can also follow this programme wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to discover more and find out how UBS can help you at ubs.com. This is The Bulletin with UBS on Monocle Radio. I'm Tom Edwards. Thanks for listening.